of this study that we've been doing of the book of Romans. We've been kind of just taking a little bit of a chunk at a time. Uh, we've got a couple more weeks uh, that we'll do this year, and then we're going to take a break for our Advent series and Advent season as we get closer to Christmas. Um, but we're going to finish the, the chapter 6 that we've been looking at. We'll finish that here um, today. And I want to just kind of give you a, a little bit of a review because one of the things that happens as you look at these little chunks at a time, the good part is you, you get to really kind of zero in and, and go in depth and, and really kind of examine some of the nuances that are here in these passages. That's the great part. The, the, the disappointing part is sometimes you lose the big picture flow of the argument and the, the discussion and, and why did he get there and, and where have we been? And, and so especially if you're new, if this is your first time with us, this would be a great way to just kind of catch you up. And for the rest of us, I just want you to remember that, that this is part of a, a bigger story, a bigger argument that the Apostle Paul is making here. And so he started in chapter 1, verse 16, saying that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Therefore, he's not ashamed of it. And that's really what this book is going to be about, is how the gospel uh, changes us, our relationship to God, and then later in the book, our relationship to each other. And so in chapter 1, he was talking about sin. Now, sin is simply breaking God's law. It's, it's trading. It's really what, what he describes there of, of worshiping created things instead of the creator, making this evil exchange. And God says, listen, if you want to follow that path, if you want to sin, if you want to love and serve something else, go for it. Have at it. And God gives rebels what they ask for. They say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. And God says, okay. And in that first part of Romans, we saw that this sinful condition is true, whether you're a Gentile, someone who's not Jewish and didn't grow up around the temple and doesn't have the Old Testament. It's true of you. It's also true of the religious people, that the religious people break the rules they create. So everyone is in sin, Paul says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But... But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ, that we can trust in Jesus. The good news of Romans, the good news of the gospel is that God has sent his son Jesus into the world who lived perfectly the way we couldn't, who was a perfect sacrifice in our place and who rose again. And that by faith in him, in faith alone, not faith plus, not faith and works, not works, just faith by trusting in Christ alone. The gap that has existed between us and God can be closed, and we can be reconciled to God. And Paul's been kind of unpacking the implications of that, that we always live by faith, and that, that where we used to be kind of in this Adam path, where we were just doing what our first father Adam had done in sin, now we're attached to Christ, and we're united to him. And, and that began to raise some questions that Paul has been answering here in this chapter. And so if you're in Romans chapter 6, look back at chapter 6, verse 1. And this, this raised the question, because what Paul's been saying, get this, this is really important. Paul's been saying up to this point, you can be made right with God, not by works, just by grace through trusting Him, through faith. Which raises a question that he's now been dealing with here in this chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Similar question is in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? And his answer in both cases is by no means. No way. Absolutely not. But it's a very natural question, right? You think if, if I'm made right with God, not by what I do, but just by what he's done, I just have to trust him, then you could begin to think, well, I'll just live however I want. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That isn't going to happen. 
That's impossible. It's inconceivable. By no means, he says. Because you've been united to Christ, you have a new master, a new Lord. And in chapter 6, he's been unpacking the implications of this. Now, you've got to get this. This is so key. Is, is he's been contrasting through this whole book the idea of law and grace, right? Law is kind of this idea that if I do these things, then God will accept me. Grace is God has done this gracious thing for me, therefore I'll obey him. It's a big, big difference, right? Law is like an MRI machine, right? I'm a football fan. A lot of you watch football or play sports or do different things, and, and, and perhaps you've, you've had that moment where you've, maybe you've had this yourself or you've watched somebody and that knee makes a sound it shouldn't make, pop, right? And, and, and what do you have to do in order to see what's wrong? Well, you got to get an MRI, right? And an MRI is a wonderful diagnostic tool, right? You, you don't really know how bad the damage is until you go through the MRI. Well, listen, the law of God, the rules of God are, are like an MRI machine. They're, they're great at helping point out where you fall short, but you don't go through the MRI machine for treatment, doesn't make you better. It just identifies what's wrong. What you need is surgery. And, and, and so, so that's, that's, in a sense, what, what God is doing here in the Gospels. He's sending his son Jesus. He sent the law first to, to sort of be the MRI machine to help you go, yeah, I, I need God. And then he sent his son to do surgery on our hearts to make us new. And because he's made us new, he's now going to call us to live in a different way. So most of Romans has not been commands, just been statements of fact. Here's what's true of you. Here's what God has done for you. But just in this passage, he started to give us a few commands, and they're the same idea. You see it here in the middle of verse 19 of chapter 6. It's the command to present. He says in verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He said, I'm going to use an illustration of slavery here that That word might make you feel uncomfortable. It's just an illustration. That's all he's saying. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The command here is present your members as slaves of righteousness. Now, members is just a way of talking about your body, who you are. Present yourself as slaves... To righteousness. This word present is the idea of a, of a soldier reporting for duty. Right? Clicks, clicks the heels, salute. Yes, sir. At your service, sir. What can I do for you, sir? That's the imagery here. It, it's, he's saying present yourself. Report for duty to righteousness. Report to duty for God. We've talked about it. It's like when you go to Chick-fil-A. And they say to you, it's my pleasure to serve you. What are they doing? They're presenting themselves to you. And the command of this passage, Paul's saying, is in light of all that God has done for you, present yourself, report for duty to him. So every day, wake up and say, God, I'm at your service. God, I'm here to serve you. God, what do you want from me today? God, like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. That's the command that Paul's saying. He's saying, now that you've been made new, now that you've been given a new heart, report for duty. Live 
for him. And if you live this way, you'll have in mind that there are, this creates some differences. This is a different way to live than, than most people live. This is not a normal way of thinking. The normal way, as Paul's been talking about, is to present yourself as a slave to sin. That's how you come into the world. That's how we just naturally are. We present ourselves sin at your service. And Paul's saying, no, 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 this is going to lead to a whole different way of thinking. Now listen, we like to, in culture and in church, we're really encouraged when we, get, when we hear about how we're similar and when we're united and, and, and we kind of see the things we have in common. And, and people have so much in common, don't we? And yet, if we're honest, there are differences. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about the differences between following the Lord and not following the Lord. And, and, and there are some real differences, right? There's a difference between boys and girls, got two daughters. I was sitting with my oldest the other day, Abby. She's seven. And she said, Daddy, do you ever feel like you're surrounded by girls? I said, yeah, I I am surrounded by girls, but I don't mind. I I really like little girls. I like your mom, and it's fine. I mean, it's great. She said, well, do you think you would ever want a son? I said, oh, I'd love to have a son. Yeah, that'd be be incredible if God blessed us with a son. I said, how would you feel? Would you you like to have a brother? She goes, eh, I don't think so. (laughs) I said, why? She said, boys are crazy. Right? She knows there's a difference between boys and girls. I have lots of great parenting advice. I I think it works really well, especially for girls. If you've got a crazy caveman son, I don't know if I can help you that much. Right, and there's just a different, I mean, some of you that have boys and girls, you, you just know right away how different they are, right? That leads to differences between men and women, right? We have a lot in common. We're both made in God's image, but men and women are not the same. Anyone that's trying to say men and women are the same, no, we're, we're clearly not, right? There's, there's people who went to ASU, and there's people who went to U of A, and, and those people know how different the other is, right? There are Democrats, there are Republicans, right? There are good people. And there are Raiders fans. <laughs> right? I mean, there's just differences in people. Okay? So, so, so what Paul's going to talk about here is going, listen, th- there's a different way of living for those who are slaves to Christ and those who are not. It leads a different place and it's motivated and fueled by an entirely different thing. Okay? So here's the first difference is different masters. Different masters. The followers of Jesus and those who are not have different masters. Now, Paul has used this intense word of slavery. He explains why in verse 19. He says this is just an illustration. But the idea here is that everyone is a slave to something. So let's just back up uh, even before what, what we read today and look at what we looked at last week. Verse 16. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Then today in verse 19, he says, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, right? All throughout this this passage, he's been talking about that everyone has a master. The question is, 
Who is your master? Who are you serving? It's not whether you'll have a master, it's what will you serve? Who will you serve? There's two different masters. Slaves of sin, he says back in verse 16, or slaves of righteousness, he says in verse 18. Slaves of sin in verse 20, verse 22, slaves of God. Verse 19, slaves to impurity or slaves to righteousness. So why is it that the Christian will not get stuck in this ongoing, oh, I don't care about obedience, I'll live any way I want. Why is that? Because the Christian has a different master. This is also why, by the way, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't necessarily expect non-Christians to comply with your morality. They're slaves to sin. They're slaves to impurity, he says, slaves to lawlessness, slaves to self, just like you were. And just like if you're honest, you willingly enslave yourself to it time after time after time, even now. So we should have a lot of humility there. But there's a difference. There's a clear difference between a Christian and someone who isn't. Even a religious person might say that God's my master, but in reality, their master might be other people's approval. It might be keeping the rules. It might be being better than everyone. Different masters. But you will serve somebody. After we talked about this last week, one of our elders, Tim Campbell, sent me an email, and it was with a link to the Bob Dylan song. And Bob Dylan apparently had a kind of Christian phase uh, during uh, his life, and one of the songs he wrote was called You Gotta Serve Somebody. Here's some lyrics to it. It says, you may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion, or you might live in a dome. Sounds like Dr. Seuss. (laughs) You might own guns, and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord but you're going to have to serve somebody. You can't have two masters, but you're never the master. If you're sitting here today and you're like, no, 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 I'm I'm the master of my own life. I'll have no Lord but me. Well, then you're a slave to your own sinful desire. And what Paul is saying in this whole passage, he's saying, listen, for those of you who are Christians, Present yourself to God because He's your real master. You've been set free from sin. Don't go back to that. Don't go pretending that sin's your master again. It's not. God is your master. You have a different master. So present yourself to Him. Report for duty. Here's the second difference. Is different fruit. Different fruit. Living as a slave to sin leads somewhere. Living as a slave to righteousness, as a slave to God, leads somewhere profoundly different. It leads to fruit. Our actions have results. They have the biblical idea is fruit. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7 in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Right? If you have a healthy tree in your garden, if you have a healthy grapefruit tree or an orange tree or whatever you have, it will bear healthy, good fruit. If it's sick and diseased, it won't. And the health of our life with God bears fruit. And it, it bears fruit one way or the other. What kind of fruit is really the question? And so that's what he begins to look at as well. 
Look at back at verse, uh, verse 19. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so you get that? You present yourself as a member of, uh, uh, you present your body to impurity, to lawlessness, that God, I don't need you, God, I don't, I, I'll do my own thing. What does that lead to? It leads to more lawlessness, more impurity, more selfishness. That's what he says. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now we talked last week, that, that word sanctification, maybe you're not familiar with that. It's a word that, it's a theological word that is, is essentially the idea of becoming more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in your life. So really, in a sense, what he's saying is you are a slave to impurity, a slave to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now be a slave of righteousness leading to more righteousness. There's a snowball effect here. There's a different outcome depending on who you serve as your master. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Now here, this is interesting. Here he talks about one of the benefits of not being a Christian. One of the benefits of being a slave to sin, and there aren't many, but but here's one, kind of, with an asterisk maybe. He says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Listen, when you're a slave of sin, when you're living for yourself, you're, you're free in terms of what's right, what's wrong, how does it impact other people, who cares? It's not on your mind, it's not on your radar, you don't worry about it. You're living for you, as long as you get what you want, great. In contrast, once you become a Christian, and we're going to unpack this more in chapter 7, you're going to now feel this tension between what you want and what you know is right. Because a lot of times, what you want and what's right will be the same thing, because you have a new heart. But there are times when, when you're just going to start to go, oh, I don't know. I don't know. What should I do? I feel torn. But if you're not a Christian, if you're a slave to sin, you don't have that problem. But it doesn't lead anywhere good, Paul says, verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So you had a point in time when you didn't have to worry about righteousness, but what's the fruit of that, he's saying? These are things of which you're now ashamed. And my guess is every one of us in here has things for which we are deeply ashamed. Decisions we've made, relationships we've had, ways we've conducted ourselves that, that, that we don't post on Facebook and Instagram about those. And if they started to get shown as videos here, it'd be horrifying. Things that back then you thought, I'm just being me. And whether you're a Christian or not, you can look back at things you're ashamed of. And Paul's saying that's the fruit of living for yourself. That's the fruit of that path. What did you get from that, Paul says? You're now ashamed of it. End of verse 21. For the end of those things is death. That leads to death. It leads to misery. You want that? No. Why choose that path? Verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin 
and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, being more like Jesus, and its end, eternal life. There's different fruit. The decisions we make lead places. This may seem obvious, but, but I've found it to be, uh, I think, just really well explained in, in a little book that Andy Stanley has uh, called The Principle of the Path. The Principle of the Path. It's very simple, and here's the principle of the path. You, you can just take a look at this. It's this. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Direction, not intention, determines your destination. Now, you may look at that and go, wow, how long did you work on this sermon? Like, that seems pretty obvious, right? I mean, do you get what he's saying? You say, if you get on the, the, uh, the 17 North, you will not get to Tucson, right? Now, that may be a blessing, honestly, but, <laughs> but you won't get there, right? Because direction, not intention, determines destination. You go, but I really want to get to Tucson. Well, then don't get on the 17 North. Because if you're headed that way, that's where it leads, right? There are times when as pastors, uh, I'll meet with somebody. Maybe you've had this experience where you've talked with somebody and they're just going, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how this happened. And it's like, I do. When, when you start to describe the decisions you've made and the thought process you have, it, it's not rocket science. Direction, not intention, leads to destination. You know, I really want to get out of debt. I really want to eat better. I really want to exercise consistently. I really want to build more intimacy with my spouse. I really want to get a spouse. I really want to, you know, keep a job. I really want to work hard to get a better job. I want to write a book. I want to, I mean, whatever. Whatever your intentions are, great. But the direction determines the destination. Are you on that path? If you're not on that path, you aren't going to get there. And what Paul's saying here is that slavery to sin and slavery to God have profoundly different paths, and they lead to profoundly different places. Now, listen, when you hear it laid out like that, and you go, okay, path one, sin, impurity, lawlessness, death. Path two, righteousness, you're like Jesus, joy, life. Right? It's like, hmm. I mean, right? You're going, what do I want? Death or life? Right? I mean, no one feels stuck on that decision, right? right? When, you he- when you see it laid out, when there's kind of this moment of clarity, you go, oh, yes, right? I want the path of life. I want to be a slave of righteousness. I want to follow the Lord. Yes, okay, right. But in the moment, in the moment, it's not that clear, is it? And so the question I have is, is why do we so often not choose the wise path? When, when we know this, we could teach it to other people. We could say it. Why do we not choose that wise path? Why do we, instead of presenting ourselves, reporting for duty to the Lord, why do we report to duty to sin, the world, to the flesh? Why do we do that? I think there's potentially three at least explanations, maybe more. The first one is this. And, and this is for those of you who, before Christ, before Christ, before you, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're a slave to sin, right? Why do you, cho- why do you not choose the right path? Because you're a slave to yourself. You're a slave to your desires. You're a slave to your feelings. You can't help it, right? If you, if you happen to choose the right path, it's because you're made in the image of God and, and you got lucky. 
And yet, the Christians in the room would go, yeah, that's the reason. But wait, 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 wait. Let's come back to you. Me. We're not slaves to sin, the Scripture says. We're slaves to God. We have new hearts. We're being renewed in our minds, right? But we still struggle with that same tension. So what is it for us? Well, I think a reason that Christians struggle with this, why do we not choose the right path, is our attention gets diverted. Our attention gets diverted, right? Direction, not intention, determines destination. Well, what determines direction? Your attention, right? If I, if I held up a map of Tucson and said, hey, memorize this, learn it, look at it, you wouldn't get on the 17, right? Because you, you you, Tucson would have your attention, right? And in the same way, I think part of the reason why, why we go, you know, I, I, I want to head this way, but, I, but I'm not, and I'm struggling with it, is because we, we lose focus, we lose our attention. Attention determines direction, and direction determines destination. This is why. This is why you need church. This is why you need to come here. This is why you need to be soaked under the preaching of God's Word. It's why you need to sing out and rejoice. It's why you need to celebrate communion with God's people, celebrating what Christ has done, being reminded of that. It's why you need to be in a redemption community during the week with a small group of people in the middle of the week who can pray for you and go, yes, this is the way we want to go. It's to, it's to capture your attention. Listen, listen, I've been in small group environments. I, I, I come to church every week, right? It's not always great. It isn't. Right? Some weeks are awesome. Some weeks are, eh. Same thing in a small group. Right? Some weeks, everyone's there, and it's talking, and you just feel God's spirit moving. Other weeks, eh. You know what the value is? It keeps your attention. Yes, that's where I want to go. Yes. That's the life I want. Yes, that's what I'm really after. Don't lose attention. But, but there's a deeper reason. There's a deeper reason why we struggle to choose the wise path. It's because deep down, we don't trust God's heart. Even Christians. And this is as old as the Garden of Eden. When God said, listen, Adam, Eve i got some incredible stuff for you. You can eat of any tree in the garden. Anything you want. Just don't eat of that one tree. Right? Two paths. Take a wise path. Take a path of life. Take a path of blessing. Take a path of righteousness. Why did they not take that path? It's because a serpent came in and said, did God really say that? Don't you know that God is holding something back from you? Don't you know that, that if you eat from that tree, you'll be like God, you'll know good and evil? And Adam and Eve in that moment went, maybe God's holding out on us. And that's what you and I do. I, right? You, you, some of us will even say something like, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. Well, what God says in his word, we don't always trust it. We don't trust his heart. Here's how Andy Stanley describes it in that book that I mentioned, The Principle of the Path. He says, he says it this way. He says, why do I knowingly choose paths that take me where I've already decided I don't want to go? The answer is, when we stand at the crossroads between prudent and happy, that's wise and happy, we lie to ourselves. We turn into dishonest salespeople. 
We begin selling ourselves on what we want to do rather than what we ought to do. We listen to ourselves until we believe our own lies, and then we opt for happiness. We listen to our hearts, it's our feelings, and then we assign our heads the responsibility of building a case to support our heart's decisions. I'll tell you, that's really true. People will sometimes come and they'll say, hey, I want to get your advice. And as I talk to them, you know what I realize? So you don't want my advice. You want my affirmation. You've decided. You're just, you're just building a case for why what you already decided is the right thing. So do you want advice or do you want affirmation? Right? We do this. And even when they say, yeah, yeah, I want advice, they ignore it. <laughs> Here's, he continues. Our problem is rarely a lack of information or insight. Right? If someone else came to you in the same situation and said, should I buy this? Should I do this? Should I build this habit? Should I break this? You'd go, no! Right? You would, tell, you would know exactly what to do. It's not a lack of information. It's not a lack of information or insight. It's not that we fail to see trouble brewing on the horizon. It's a lack of honesty. We have a hard time leveling with ourselves. Choosing the right path begins with submission, not information. Submission. You know what's right to do. I know what's right to do. Question isn't information. It's will I present myself to God? And if you will or if you won't, it leads in different places. One of our pastors at the Gilbert Congregation is a guy named Tom Schrader. He's been in the city for a long time doing a lot of different ministry. And about a year ago, he was asked to do a funeral for a guy that attends his midweek Bible study whose all his family was not Christians. And they did it at the Arcadia Congregation. And it was for this older man who had, who had died after many years. He had been married five times. He had about a dozen children from a number of those different marriages and some besides those marriages. And the whole family was gathering to remember his life. And it was just miserable from what Tom said. I mean, no one really liked the guy very much. In fact, one guy came up in military dress uniform, right, for the funeral. And they gave the family kind of an opportunity, whoever wanted to say something. He came up and he said, I am who I am today because of my dad. And everything that my dad was about, I've tried to do the opposite. And no one has influenced me more than my dad by showing me the absolute wrong way to do everything. Woo! I mean, I, there's some hurt there, right? I think he even got a few amens. <laughs> I've been to other funerals where someone says, I, I am who I am because of that man, and I'm eternally grateful, right? Well, how did that happen? Different masters, different path. But there's another difference that marks the people of God versus those who are not, is a different motivation. You might say it this way, based on verse 23, different funding. Different funding. Right? Uh, money motivates. Right? You're, you're motivated in large parts, we all are, by money. And, and Paul uses a kind of monetary language in verse 23. And I, I think this is a good summary verse, and it kind of captures the difference in motivation, the different source that drives the people with different masters that are following different paths, is we have different funding. Right? There's a difference between wages, what you earn, 
what you're given. That's what he describes in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Wages are what you earned, right? If you did your job and you got a paycheck at the end of the week, you didn't get the check and run to your boss and give him a hug and say, thank you for your generosity. Because you said, I, I work for that. I earned that. And, and people who are slaves of sin say, you know what? I'll get what I deserve. You know what? When I die, the good will outweigh the bad. I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. I'll be fine. Just give me what I deserve. Paul says, okay, what you've deserved is death. But the free gift, and notice that language, right? It, 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 you'd think it would just say the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. But it, it says free gift. Well, I thought a gift was already free. He's emphasizing it's a free, it's a gift gift. Right? You didn't earn this at all. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And I think that that explains the difference in what, what, what master we serve and what path we choose. See, it's not that choosing the right path gets you a particular gift, right? Because it's a free gift. You can't, you can't earn it. But I think what verse 23 is doing is explaining Listen, the person who's just working their way, who's doing their thing, they're serving themselves. It's, it's really not serving God. They're, they're a slave of sin. It's leading down a path of, of either in irreligious people, awful, obvious sin, or in moral religious people, self-righteous, proud sin. But it's just self-serving. But I'll get what I deserve, death. But the people of God are people who have a master in Jesus, who are following a path of righteousness, who are reporting for duty daily because we're people who've been given a free gift. And just because it was free doesn't mean it was cheap. It cost Jesus everything. You can't earn it. You can't work for it because he paid it all. When he was on the cross, he yelled out a, a word that when you read it in the scripture, you go, what does that mean? He yelled out, tetelestai. It means it is finished, paid in full. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, he says. You see how it finishes there? Verse 23, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know what Lord means? Master. It's a Greek word that means master. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our master. Why is he our master? Why are you as a follower of Christ going to click your heels and present yourself to him today and tomorrow and the day after that? Why? Because he's your master and he's given you this incredible gift. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this gift. Thank you for 